23rd Psalm, there's six verses, and there's two parts to every verse. Uh, and I, I just thought it would be a good thing if we could just read this psalm, and if you know it by memory, you can just quote it uh, through its entirety. It's only six verses uh, before we go into it each Wednesday night while we're in this series. So let's go ahead and put it up there, and let's quote together the 23rd Psalm. Are you ready? Read it with me, everybody. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Every time we read that one, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I picture two little dogs. Come here, goodness. Come here, mercy. Yeah, you ought to get two dogs and name them goodness and mercy. Come on, goodness. Follow me. All the days of my life. All right, Father, we just thank you for the word of God tonight. Now, we need to understand who you are to us, Lord, better than we ever have before. We need to understand, Lord, the, the shepherdhood of Jesus. So, Lord, speak to us. Help us to grasp this. Build our faith. Increase our faith. And increase our expectation of the shepherd coming through for us, guiding us, leading us, teaching us, providing for us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the Lord is my shepherd. You can be seated. God bless you. Now, I think, just to give you a little heads up, I think Sunday I'm going to share from a chair. I've done that before. Now they're looking at me like, what do you mean by that? I'm thinking I'm just going to, because uh, just to change things up a little bit, and I, I'm thinking about just sharing from a chair. So you get to be seated, and I for once get to be seated. Now it's not because I can't stand, I like it, but I like shaking things up a little bit. So throwing that out there. You'd be surprised, there are some people who will come to see me share from a chair. All right. Now we're in the 23rd Psalm, the most f famous poem in the world. There's almost nobody. You could go out there in the highways and the byways, go to any restaurant, go up to somebody on the street and say, where does the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd come from? And, and more of them than not would say 23rd Psalm. That's how famous this Psalm is. It's the most recognizable passage or portion of scripture in the whole Bible. There's no question about it. The 23rd Psalm. Now, I shared with you last time that though we often quote it at funerals, all right? You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so we kind of see it as a psalm to die by, but it's really actually a psalm to live by. It, it, it's a psalm to live by because there are six verses that describe to us exquisitely and personally from the eyes of a real shepherd how God is our shepherd, more particularly how Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus said, I am, I am the good shepherd. 
Now, that's how he identifies himself. If he tells you who he is, that's who he is. He's not just the light of the world, the bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life, and so on and so forth. But he is not just our shepherd, but our good shepherd. He's our good shepherd. So David is writing these six verses out of his experience, his personal experience as a shepherd. Uh, they They are written to understand from the viewpoint of a genuine shepherd. That's why most of us never really understand the psalm until you look at it through the eyes of a shepherd because we have Americanized the psalm. You know, we just look at it through Americanized eyes and none of us, I don't think any of us in here, have ever been a real shepherd of real sheep. So David is giving it to us from personal experience. And he's taking his personal experience and he's saying, you know what? What I learned as a shepherd, that's the way he is with me. And David was a good, real shepherd. He, he put his life on the line twice. He killed a bear with his bare hands and a lion with his bare hands to protect his daddy's sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not putting my life on the line. I'm not going to risk being chewed up by a bear for a sheep. I'm not. Hello? But he, and if you would, if you think you would, I wish I could put that to the test, but I can't. I think all of us would say, Lord, be with that sheep as we were running out the other direction. Lord, watch over that poor little guy. But anyway, so David was a true good shepherd, all right? Put his life on the line. He's a type of Christ who put his life literally on the line for you and me. And Jesus laid hold of the great lion, the devil. And on the cross, he defeated him by shedding his innocent blood. He undid the works of the devil. And so when he did that, he became our great savior shepherd. Now, we saw the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. Very, very powerful. We learned what that means. And if you weren't here last week to get it, really look it up in the archives or get the CD because it's, it's really worth Hearing. Now we're going to look at verse 2 tonight. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. Now, since all the verses have two parts, let's just split this one up and let's just unpack this. First, he, my shepherd, Jesus, makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, we notice here again that that David describes himself as one of Jehovah's flock. He's not coming over as the king here. He he is just putting himself in there as as one of Jehovah's flock, safe under his care. And he said, being under his care, he makes me lie down. How many of you have ever refused to lie down? Finally, the Lord made you lie down. Right? Right? You're burning the candle at both ends. You're tired. You're worn out. You're beat up. You think that busyness is spiritual. And and, and you you get so burned out that you're rusted out. And then finally you drop out. And the Lord makes you lie down. And he'll really talk to you when he makes you lie down. But that's another topic. So David says, in, in this verse, here's the picture he gives us. That he's free from all anxieties due to the good shepherd's protection. That's the feeling. He makes me lie down 
He makes me lie down. I'm under his protection. I don't have anxieties. I'm not full of fear. I'm not full of, 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 of restlessness. He's made me lie down. And I'm lying down. I'm at rest. And only, folks, when we come to this place of rest in God, are we able to truly enjoy his peace and enjoy life. It's a place of ease, and it's a place of security. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about entering into his rest. Have you ever noticed you can rest your body and your spirit still is not rested? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever gone on vacation, and you vacated and came back, and you found out on vacation you never really rested? Right? Because rest is an inside job. Rest is God's rest is where you have complete and total peace on the inside. You are at ease. You have security under the watchful care of your good shepherd. Now, in real shepherding, it's almost impossible to get sheep to lie down and rest unless four requirements are met. And let me give you what they are. First one, because of their natural timidity, they will refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Uh, A fearful sheep will not lie down. Guess what? A fearful human will not lie down and rest. You can't. You're full of fear. John said fear has torment. We're going to talk about that. Second, because of their frequent friction with other sheep, they will not lie down unless there's peace between them. I'm going to explain this in a minute. But there's friction all the time in a flock of sheep. And because of the friction, they can't lie down. When we have friction with people, we cannot lie down. Right? We're bothered all the time. You can lie down, but you can't sleep. You can have satin sheets, but you can't sleep. Because you got friction going on with people. And it keeps you awake at night. Now, number three. They will not lie down unless they are free from everybody. Get ready to say gross. Parasites. Flies. And I'm going to tell you some of the different kinds of flies in a minute. Which harass them greatly. So they will not lie down unless they're free from harassment from flies. Things that bug them. And fourth, they will not lie down when they're hungry. Now, all these reasons for which they won't lie down, we won't either. We we won't experience God's rest if we're dealing with anyone or all of these four. So, in summary, they've got to be free from fear, tension, aggravations... And hunger, or they won't lie down. They won't lie down. He makes me lie down. Well, he can only make me lie down when these four things have been cared for and taken care of. And guess what? It's only the sheep's shepherd that can take care of these four needs because they're helpless. They can't deliver each other because they're all dumb. Right? No, no, I'm sorry, but they are. And guess what God calls us? Sheep. So he's saying we do D-U-M-B things too. You, you can have a high IQ and do D-U-M-B things all the time. You ever done a D-U-M-B thing lately? Come on, tell the truth. Raise your hand. It was dumb. You said, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Come on, raise your hand. Tell the truth. Since, since the turn of the new year, how many in here have done a dumb thing? Oh, that's everybody. Everybody say, bah. Because sheep do dumb things. That's why we need a shepherd, right? So let's talk about these four things. First, fear. Fear. It it is a fact of true shepherding. That just seeing the shepherd in the field at night 
will settle a restless flock. Just seeing him. There may be dangerous predators in the area, but if they know their shepherd is there near where they can see him, they can lie down. It'll settle their fear. Folks, we live in a fearful world. I've dealt with people this week. I had counseling sessions. Not anybody here. Honestly, they weren't in this church. They, they wanted to meet with me. Not in this church, but tormented with fear. Tormented with fear. Fearful thoughts. Irrational fears. Fears that had no basis in reality, but fears that were tormenting them. You know, John said, fear has torment. And he that fears is not made perfect in love. That is, if you're really, if the channel is clear between you and the Lord and you're walking in his love, it'll banish fear. But if there's issues between you and God, then you're going to have, you, you can easily fall prey to fear. So it's the same with us. Fear is almost always a matter of focus. What you're looking at. Fear comes from what you're focused on. If you're focused on a, a bad report from the doctor, or if you're focused on a marriage you feel like is in real trouble, or if you're focused on something that instills fear in you, then if you keep looking at it, the fear is only going to get worse because you're, you're going to respond to what you're focused on. Just having our eyes turned onto our faithful shepherd has the effect of settling our fears and anxieties. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the song says. Look full in his wonderful face. And what will happen? The things of earth and everything that makes you afraid will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I was a little kid, I was convinced at night. My mother would come and turn the light off. I dreaded turning the light off. I dreaded it. I used to always say, please leave it on. You won't go to sleep. Okay. She turned the light off and she would shut the door until there was a little crack. I was convinced at that moment something got under my bed. I read too many stories. I was a reader, and I had a very active imagination. And, and, and I can remember nights where I, I, I debated heavily, do I really, really get out of bed and look? Because if something's under there, I will die. It's totally irrational. But it would torment me at night. And, and the only thing that got rid of it is I finally went to sleep. And oh, I was, that, that sunlight was so welcome every morning because I knew that whatever it was that got under there at night didn't get under there once the sun rose. And so we deal, now we think, we look at that and we go, well, that's totally irrational, Jeff. That was a little boy. But see, we have irrational fears all the time. We fear things that are not based in reality. Somebody I read once said, I've known many fears in my lifetime, but most of them never happened. Okay? I've known many fears in my lifetime, but they were irrational. But they can, they can torment you. And so it matters what you're focused on. David wrote another psalm, and this is, this is a, something we should all practice for life. He said in Psalm 16, verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Can we read that together? I keep my eyes always on the Lord. What does that do? Well, it banishes fear. Because as long as I'm looking at Jesus, see, it does something. David went on to say, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken with fear. Just focused on him. 
Just focus. Looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, when Joshua sent the 12 spies to go to spy out the promised land, 12 came back. They were carrying the fruit. They were carrying a report of the incredible fruit and beauty and bounty of the land. But 10 of them were walking in fear. And two of them were walking in faith. What did the 10 say who were walking in fear? They said, we saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers to them. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. We cannot defeat them. What were they focused on? They were focused on the problem. They were focused on the giant. And all of us have giants in our life. We all have a giant, at least one. And if you're focused on that giant, then it's going to give you a negative report. It's going to destroy your faith, and you will not take the land God wants you to take. I'm talking shop now. I want you to get this. That if we focus on the giant, we're going to walk in fear. They were trembling in fear. And their fear was contagious, and it affected an entire generation of believers who did not cross over into their inheritance because of the negative report of ten fearful men. What a crime. It matters what you're focused on. And so David says, you know what? The way you take care of fearful sheep, you just let them see their shepherd. And they have peace and they'll lie down. Generally, it's the unknown and unexpected that produces the greatest anxiety in us. It was this very kind of fear that also gripped the disciples in the stormy sea. The storm kicked up, and they were convinced that storm was going to kill them. Some of you might be in a storm tonight. You're convinced it's going to take you out. But let me tell you what happened. Jesus stood up in the middle of the storm. Jesus stood up. And when Jesus stood up, their eyes went from the storm to him. And when they got their eyes on him, he started talking to that storm. And he told the storm to stop it. Stop the wind from blowing and the waves from rolling. And it all stopped. And they were goggle-eyed. And they said, who is this man? That's the question he wanted them to ask. Because he was happy to answer it. I'm not just any man. I'm the God man. I made the weather. The weather does what I say. So say with me, it matters what you're focused on. This week I was talking again with somebody whose marriage was for all intents and purposes finished. And, or so they thought. Their mind was full of trouble and fear. It seemed as if their world was caving in around them and all was hopeless. And then they prayed. They told me. They prayed. And during their prayer, the voice of the shepherd seemed to speak to them and suddenly faith filled their heart. Now I'm not saying this happens with everybody, but it happened with this couple. Peace swept over their soul. A strong sense of his presence gripped them. They knew the shepherd was there in their conflict with them. And they suddenly felt that it was not over as they had thought. And they've since been in counseling and they're making strong progress. And all I'm telling you is when they got their eyes off the storm in their marriage and got them onto Jesus, the shepherd of their soul, that's when things shifted. So everybody say, he takes care of my fears if I focus on him. Now, second, there's friction. I love this part because while a flock of sheep may look serene, we love those pictures on Christmas time of the sheep, you know, the shepherd with the shepherd's staff and all that. And that's part of the serenity of Christmas. But it's actually a, a flock of sheep is a place of tension, 
rivalry, and cruel competition. Believe it or not, there's always a pecking order. Not that that doesn't happen in churches, but it happens in flocks of sheep. That's a joke, son. We are a flock of sheep. There's a pecking order. A hierarchy of dominance about who the greatest among them will be. And generally, it's an old you, E-W-E-U, old female sheep. Now, I'm not making any insinuations here. I'm just telling you the way it is in real shepherding. Okay. You guys have understood the principle of submission, right? You're the head, she's the neck that turns the head. Come on. Come on. All right. I'm just having fun with you because this is... Now, here's what that old you will do. She will butt the others into place, driving them away from the best grazing area or the favorite bed grounds. And then beneath her, there is a pecking order that that appears. The other sheep all establish and maintain their exact position in the flock by using the same tactics of butting and bullying. Because of all this rivalry and competition, there is unsettling friction in the flock. And the sheep cannot lie down in contentment with all this budding and bullying going on. They've got to constantly defend their rights and challenge the intruders. So there's no peace in that flock until, interestingly, it's when the shepherd comes upon the scene. All this stops. How many of you have siblings? Remember when you were little? And you'd fight, and suddenly you'd hear a door open, and it's dad. And and suddenly you love one another. Right? You're in love with one another. You just love one another. Oh, we were just playing because we love each other so much. As soon as that door shuts and they're gone, you're back to hitting each other and scratching. Same thing with a flock of sheep. All the shepherd has to do is show up, and the friction stops. Now, likewise, with God's sheep, as long as the awareness of the constant watchfulness of our shepherd over his flock is there, foolish rivalries and jealousies cease. You know, let me tell you when sin shows up, when, you, when the fear of the Lord fades away. The, the lesser a person or a group fears God, the more they will sin. The more you fear God, the less you will sin. So I like to put it this way. The fear of the Lord is the continual awareness that God is watching and weighing every one of my thoughts, my words, my actions, and my attitudes. If I'm always aware of that, then I tend to walk cleaner. That's a good place to give the Lord a hand, right? When we can say with Paul, I've learned in whatever state I am, there would to be content, then this foolishness will stop because as long as my shepherd is there, I'm content. I'm content. I don't need somebody else's position to feel important. Okay? I don't need more things to feel loved. I don't feel like I've got to earn stripes with Jesus. No, I just I accept that my good shepherd loves me unconditionally and, and he's going to take care of me. And he loves me as much as he loves Billy Graham or whomever. So the good shepherd absolves our fears. He settles our frictions in in the church and at home, in our families, in our marriages. And thirdly, he frees us from harassments. 
Now sheep, let me, let, this is so important, especially in the summer months, can be driven to absolute distraction by a host of harassers. Now I got to get gross because I got to tell you the truth. Nasal flies, that one right there makes me want to step back and say, help me Jesus. Nasal flies. I can't even think of it. I don't need to explain that. Bot flies, warble flies, and ticks can torment them. And when they're tormented by these pests, understandably, it's impossible to lie down. So if he's going to make me to lie down, he's got to handle these things in my life. The poor sheep in the summer months can be seen up on their feet, stamping their legs, shaking their heads because insects in the ears, insects in the nasal passages, uh, uh, ready to rush off into the bushes. I even read in one place, they'll butt their head up against a tree, literally being driven mad by these things. Once again, enter the shepherd. Because you know what he does? A good shepherd will apply various types of insect repellents to to his sheep. He will dip them in tick repellent to free them from their tormentors. And, And he will pour oil that is a repellent, a type of repellent, over their head. You know where it says he anoints my head with oil? That has a shepherd's sheep connotation as well. Because when he would anoint their head with this repellent oil, it drove away these tormenting insects. And then they could have peace. This is why you and I need to be anointed with fresh oil. Amen? Anointed with the Holy Spirit. Anointed with a fresh touch from God. Because when you really come under the touch of the Holy Spirit, it's like a demonic insect repellent. And it drives tormenting thoughts away. This, This... person I was talking to this week so tormented with fear it just broke my heart and I I I thought of this this here because I've noticed if I will uh, um, take in the word of God that's another way God anoints your head with oil take in the word of God if I will spend time with him where his spirit settles on me then harassing thoughts because that's the picture here you know the bot flies the ticks all of that that's just a picture of how we can be driven to distraction by harassing thoughts, doubts, um, uh, offenses, um, jealousies, fears, resentments. Um, how'd that person do that? Why'd they do that? Why'd they say that? Why'd they do that to me, treat me that way? And, and, and uh, just if we're not careful, if we don't grab it, that's why it says bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But see, to do that, you've got to have the anointing oil of the shepherd. You've got to know how to access it, how to apply it. So for the shepherd to deliver his sheep from these tormenting harassers, it takes time, labor, paying constant attention to the condition of his flocks. And always uppermost in his mind is the aim of keeping his flock quiet and at peace. And in the same way, our great shepherd delivers us from harassers, things that bug us. Worry. That's a big bug. Cares. Disappointments. Doubts. Setbacks. Fears. Conflicts. We got all kinds of insects that attack our peace. 
thoughts that attack us and harass us. And, and you know what? They'll beat on a Christian until that Christian learns how to let the shepherd anoint his head with oil. Okay? So our shepherd anoints us, uh, anoints us with oil. The gracious Holy Spirit and the mighty Word of God. These are like spiritual insect repellents that bring peace to our troubled hearts. Amen? Amen. And calm to our agitated minds. And I, you know what? I need that repellent every day. How many of you need it every day? Come on. Every day. Because if I don't get that anointing on me every day, so I get in the Word of God first thing every morning. I'm not bragging. I'm not in any way stroking myself in front of you. That's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you, I've got to do it. And if I cover my thoughts in the Word of God and spend time with Jesus, there is a repellent on me all day that pushes those harassing thoughts away. So when we turn to Jesus and simply say, Jesus, this is beyond me. I can't cope with this. It's bugging me. I can't rest. Please take over. And he does it. He takes over. So the good shepherd calms our fears, settles our relational frictions, drives away harassing thoughts, and finally, he takes care of the hunger issue. Sheep will not lie down when they're hungry. Their impulse is to get up and go search for food because they're anxious about not having enough. And this is where the phrase comes in. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, it's a fact that many of the great sheep countries of the world are dry and semi-arid areas. So most breeds of sheep flourish best in this sort of terrain. But in these same regions, green pastures are hard to find. So the green pastures have to be cultivated. So again, enter the good shepherd. Because he's got to put in tremendous labor, time, and skill to create a green pasture where there wasn't one. That's all I love about Jesus. You can be in a very arid, dry area, but our Lord can step in and create a green pasture when everything else around us is dying. So... The shepherd has to go into an area and clear out rocks, tear out old brush, roots, and stumps, plow deeply and carefully to cultivate the soil. And if he doesn't do this, his sheep will not be well fed and they will not lie down. Now, likewise, our good shepherd, if you ever noticed this, has got to do some clearing in our lives as well on the inside. When we're saved, we're a mess. Everybody say, when I was saved, I was a mess. If you don't know you were a mess when you got saved, I'll tell you tonight, when you got saved, you were a mess because you had been years in sin. But when we are saved, he sends the Holy Ghost with a wrecking crew, a clearing crew, and he immediately goes to work clearing our lives of rocks, of stony unbelief. He breaks up the soil of our hard, proud human heart. He sows the seed of his own precious word, which, if given half a chance, will produce the green grass of peace and contentment. And he then waters the seed with the rain of the Holy Spirit. And we are his garden. He is the gardener. We are his sheep. And he is the shepherd. And the ultimate result of the shepherd's work in us, and it takes years. In fact, it takes a lifetime. We're always under construction. Okay? The ultimate result of the shepherd's work, progressively, as we go on with him, 
is a life of quiet overcoming, happy contentment flowing from confidence in his management. And unfortunately, too few Christians really enjoy this. Everybody say amen. Amen. See, I can't believe you talked for 25 minutes on half a verse, but now I'm going to do the other half. Ready? He says he leaves me beside still waters. This won't take as long, but this is good. The body of a sheep is composed of about 70% water. Without enough of it, its strength and vigor quickly fade. He goes weak and shaky quickly without water. Hence, it is essential that the shepherd provide not just green grass, but plenty of good, clean water. And we human beings, folks, are just the same. But not just regarding physical water. Because God gave us something none of the other creatures of his creation have. We have a soul that was meant and designed and wired to walk with and fellowship with God. And so our soul needs the waters of his spirit. Can I say it again? Our souls are thirsty, longing for the living waters of his spirit. We've got to drink regularly of his spirit. When sheep don't have enough water, they become restless. They will not lie down. If they don't find good, clean water, they will compromise and they will head straight for polluted potholes containing parasites and disease germs. In exactly the same way, oh my, don't we? Human beings that don't know Jesus or have walked away from Jesus for whatever reason will seek out bad water to quench their spiritual thirst. And they'll turn to anything and everything. When they walk away from the real living water, they'll turn to bad water. Cults, drugs, alcohol, illicit relationships, false philosophies. Any one of a number of things that promise water yet contain spiritual parasites and bring destruction to us. You know, I, I read the news. I probably shouldn't, but I read it daily. Just see what's going on in the world. And you know what I see our country doing? They have forsaken the source of living water. And it breaks my heart. And what are they turning to? They're turning to the most polluted wells you can even imagine drinking from parasite infested, spiritually speaking, bad water, poison water, bitter water, dirty water, filthy water. The only water that satisfies the soul is from our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who one day stood up in a crowd and he cried out something that made him look crazy unless you had ears to hear. He said, let anybody who is thirsty come to me and drink. Oh, really? You got a bunch of water with you, do you, Jesus? And he said, here's the deal. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from where? From where? Within them. Now, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit of God who would be given to everyone who believes in him. Now, how sad that so many drink from the potholes of polluted water when the real thing, the living water, can be found in the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. I've often thought of the words of Jeremiah. He said, and he's talking about the people of Israel who have walked away from God. But he said, my people. He said, that's what's what's weird and crazy about this. It's my people. 
have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't even hold water. Jeremiah says the false cisterns people turn to for spiritual water, aside from God, are broken. Any source other than Christ will always end up broken. Broken dreams, broken hope, broken expectations, broken lives result from the wrong cisterns. Amen. So how do we as Christians access the water of the Spirit? And we're coming to a close now. Interestingly, a sheep can go months without actually drinking water if he has green pastures to feed from because the rich grass is covered with dew every morning. Likewise, when Christians graze each morning in the rich grass of God's Word, the natural byproduct is the dew of the Spirit that is upon God's Word. Amen? You can't feed on God's Word without getting the Holy Spirit with it. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration. It's breathed out by God. Holy men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. These are, Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are alive with life. And so when we get into that Word in the morning, not only are we eating the rich grass of the manna of God, But we're also getting the Holy Spirit along with it, the dew of the Holy Spirit. David wrote in his very first psalm, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's God's word. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And what will happen? He will be like a tree planted by what? Read it with me. The rivers of water. So when you're meditating in God's word, you're feeding not only on the green grass of his word, but on the waters of his spirit. You're drinking and feeding. The Word of God always waters the soul. Amen. It breaks in upon our hungry spirits with divine light and drenched with the dew of God's Spirit. And a couple of other ways to access the Spirit. Prayer, which is is fellowship with the Good Shepherd. And worship, which is adoration of the Good Shepherd. Both release within us the flowing waters we so desperately need to drink from. You know, isn't it amazing how you can be so troubled. You can be weighed down with so many troubles and problems and worries and vexations and stresses. But you get with God. And just one word from God can chase the fog away. Just one word from God. One word. Amen? Just one word. These are the watering holes our good shepherd leads us to. When we faithfully follow him, we will find that he's faithful to provide the sustaining water of his spirit. We need to stay healthy and strong. Amen. In this good stuff. In this good stuff. This is why I tell you, uh, it's, it's my mantra here. You've got to get with God every day. You've got to get with God every day. It's not an option. We have to get with God every day. Uh, because we, we're, we're living in a dark and a perverse and a troubled and a godless and a reprobate nation now. And, and so we've got to have daily living water. We've got to have daily bread. 
And so we got to get with God. Give, give the Lord a chance to minister to your soul every day because he's your shepherd. So he's waiting to hear from you every morning. And he's right there to take care of you if you come in under his care. Amen?